jumping out of a helicopter tethered only to a rope? Risky business takes guts, determination, and a laser focus. No problem for John Wexler. He mastered the art of rappelling right out of Pike High School as a combat engineer in the Army. Once he got his boots on the ground, it helped fuel his passion to take entrepreneurship to a new level in Indiana. It's our vision that you'll be able to do everything from uh, explore self-driving vehicles all the way to internet-connected crockpots. Just about anything that you can dream up that could be internet-connected, we want to be able to accommodate that. The brainchild behind bringing creatives and their emerging ideas together at Launch Fishers and the Indiana IoT Lab, a tech guru who belongs on the Mount Rushmore of Indiana Innovation. Join us for a conversation with serial Hoosier entrepreneur John Wexler on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. John Wexler will tell you he's always been perpetually curious and a little bit scrappy going back to the days when he sold the most popcorn for his Little League fundraisers in Pike Township on the northwest side of Indianapolis. John attended Pike High School, spent two years in the Army before earning a degree in marketing from Indiana University. John has been a pioneer in the Indiana tech community for more than two decades. He founded Launch Fishers in 2012 and the Indiana IoT Lab, also in Fishers, five years ago. And I am pleased to be joined on the Business and Beyond podcast by John Wexler, uh, entrepreneur, innovator, extraordinaire. And I, uh, and I think that's an understatement, John. You, you know, I was thinking, uh, coming to the studio this morning, you and I, I think we first met I mean, nearly 25 years ago, right as I was getting the, the the show Inside Indiana Business. At the time, it was Indiana Business This Week. That's how long ago it was. That's when we first met. So you you were on one of those early shows. Yeah, Gary, that's a, that's a fun photo, actually. I think I still have that somewhere in the archives. And I think I hit you with it every few years as a <laughs> reminder that there were these two young men with stars in their eyes, and we were going to change the world in Indiana uh, for the entrepreneurs. And uh, it has been an amazing evolution to watch not only Indiana change, but your contributions to making Indiana such a great place to be an entrepreneur. And uh, yeah, it's been a long time, but it's been a fun run, no doubt. It, yeah, very fun indeed. Uh, and want to talk about your role uh, on so many levels uh, in terms of building that tech ecosystem. But you yourself have started and grown a number of companies. And, and first and foremost, I want to talk about your latest venture, because I think it's pretty cool. I know you're excited about it. It's called Spokenote. So so give us give us kind of the thumbnail description of, uh, of what Spokenote is all about. Absolutely. Thank you so much. In its simplest form, what we do at Spokenote is we give you the ability to add video to anything. Currently, we have a series of products uh, ranging from a sticker that you can scan smile and share your video message with someone. And then wherever you put that sticker, the video plays, you think of it as the digital equivalent of a sticky note. Uh, and then we also have uh, note cards uh, that act as like a stationary that are basically video powered. So you can write a note. Uh, and then at the same time, what you do is you share the note card with someone, you can actually add a video to it. And it's all just a ready-made product. And then the last thing uh, we're currently selling is the ability to add this same functionality to business cards so that when a medical sales rep or a farmer rep 
can't get in to see the other side of the door at a doctor's office, they can actually send a video message through the door and every one of these are unique. So it gives you a chance to add video to anything. So it's really leveraging the power of video, which is uh, about so much of what we do now and will be, I think, for, for a long time, really leveraging that, that power of video and extending it uh, across a whole range of things. Yeah. And it really, you know, Gary, the way we look at it is we want to become the utility for adding uh, short videos to anything. So, you know, there are so many use cases that we've seen from Airbnb hosts that want to show a guest how the coffee machine works to a service technician that's recently installed a piece of equipment that wants to maybe show a homeowner how to change the air filter in their new system, right? There are just a whole lot of different ways uh, that you can engage people, not to mention notes, cards, presents, greetings, uh, that kind of thing. And so we just want to be the utility that allows uh, anyone to power their business or their personal lives or their sentiments uh, with short video. What's the potential here? I don't know. You've got some, some, you're connected with some big name players too, as you're rolling this out. Talk about the interest in Spokenote. Well, I mean, we're seeing uh, a whole lot of, of interest from uh, the retail channel, quite frankly. You know, it, it takes a while to get in the market. But uh, we're probably going to be sold at a lot of name brand retail locations here in 2023. Uh, and then we're going to change the way, you know, business is done in a lot of different ways. If you think about gift giving, how flowers are delivered, how service uh, is done to automobiles, and the way that you can connect with people and connect people within that product experience, uh, it's truly a unique offering. And it's something that's been hiding in plain view for the longest time that people are a little incredulous that they didn't think of it themselves. So like, well, it seems so simple. It's just a code and it's video, but we're really the first ones to bring it to market with any kind of scale. How how many companies, I I go back, I I think there was your first company and that's when I connected with you was Wish You, uh, right? And and that was, you were taking pictures at at like NASCAR events and things that that was an interesting concept, maybe ahead of its time even. I, I think it's funny that you mentioned that because anybody that knows me from back in that day and then they see Spokenote, they think it's just version two. Uh-huh. And it really, in a lot of ways, it kind of is because at Wishu, right? And that was, it was 20, uh, 23 years ago, I think, that we launched the company. It's actually based on a business plan from when I was a junior on an overseas studies program in the IU program in Maastricht, the Netherlands in 1990. Keep wow. in mind, no, no digital imaging and no yeah. internet. And I wrote a business plan around sharing videos and photos at live events. And Spokenote is really an incarnation of that. And it's a chance to, to really drill home that personal connection using, using video. And, and we're just really excited. In fact, some of the original team from Wishu, including Mike Harmon, that helped me start that company uh, you know, more than two decades ago, he's part of the team. And, you know, we just almost speak in short form with some of these use cases and some of the problems that we're trying to solve. And that really makes it a t- an awful lot of fun. Where, where did you get that, that entrepreneurial mind, if you will, that, 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 that quest to create things, grow things, and uh, again, that entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, I man, it's a curious question. And I honestly, I wish I could answer it because that would probably be the the source of, uh, of of a book, right? Because, <laughs> right. you know, it, there's this big debate is, is it natural? Is it an innate talent? Or is it something that can be, you know, learned? And can you teach it to others? I, I believe it's a little bit of both. And, you know, when I look back at 
what scrapbooks we have of pictures from way back in the day with me in the Pike Township Little League and having sold the most popcorn or the most candy or, right. you know, just I was always kind of scrappy in that way and also not afraid to knock on a door or engage someone in a conversation. And today it's no different, right? I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy meeting new people, learning new things. I'm perpetually curious. And uh, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, it started as a, as a young kid, not being afraid to just engage uh, with others. You know, and you have taken that that passion, uh, if you will, uh, kind of on the private sector, the job creating, company creating uh, side of the ledger, and extended it to the tech ecosystem in Indiana. And 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 for those reasons, I would I would put you on the Mount Rushmore of Indiana innovation. I w- I, w- I would put you in there, John. There's some a number of very wor- worthy individuals, but I think back to what you created. We talk about co working spaces all the time very commonplace or fairly commonplace around the state of Indiana now. But when you created and helped create Launch Fishers, that was a pretty novel concept, right, in uh, in Indiana. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and first of all, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's honestly uh, quite humbling to hear you say things like that, especially from someone that I hold in such high regard. Um, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to have been surrounded by uh, some amazing people. And at the end of the day, I feel like I and and me and my work, right? It's really a reflection of of the people that we work with, uh, you know, over decades. And I'm sure you feel the same way about mentors and people that have helped bring you along, people that you've learned from, peers that you've learned from. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the time when uh, co working was just getting to become a thing, I was a partner at Developer Town, and we were giving birth to some unique concepts as well. And I wanted to open a developer town north, to be honest. I wanted to do something in Fishers. And that was kind of one of the early incarnations. Uh, if you even go back a few years prior to that, we had looked at one point at having Formstack put a, a, an office up here. Ade and I looked at getting some real estate and building a space that was bigger than we needed so that we could incubate small companies in there and give us a path to growing in to an office space so we wouldn't have to keep moving. And so there's real functional reasons why co-working mattered at the time uh, that we got started. And uh, it's just been a real treat to do that with the city of Fishers and with Mayor Fadness and really then share that kind of statewide with 60 plus other locations that have now come together to form the Indiana co-working passport. We just feel like we're really doing a service for the state's entrepreneurs. Talk about the creation of Launch Fishers, because I, I very clearly remember you walking me through the uh, the uh, the basement in the the library, the big library there in Fishers, the lower level that was at the time vacant, had a few uh, empty uh, you know you know chairs and tables and things scattered about, and you were describing this vision for this co working space and what it w- would become, and I thought it was a great idea. I thought it had some real merit, but I said, man, he's got some big plans here. I don't know, I don't know, uh, you know, how long it's going to take to do that, but but it it just took off from there, and you mentioned the city of Fishers. There's there's no question that that the idea of launch fishers and much of what you and others there are doing and have done is part of the the brand that Fishers created there and and continues to sell and and, and attract and retain business there because of that. Talk about how the idea for launch fishers really really came about. Well, I mean, I, I think you you really hit on it, and that is uh, there's a an unbelievable partnership, kind of a one in a million moment. I think where you know the city 
at the time, at the time it was a town, uh, yeah. and the town manager at the time, now our mayor, Scott Badness, and then the council, right? We had a handful of city council members, uh, town council, and then city council members that really believed in this. And they took the risk to help establish this quite aspirational. I will admit, uh, when you, when you walk someone through a building like that, or where the IOT lab is now, or launch fishers, and you kind of cast a vision, sometimes people look at you like a cocker spaniel, you know, and you're just like, they're like, what you're going to do? How are you going to do this? <laughs> and, you know, I think that is, you know, it's audacious, right? And, and it's, it's, it's big, you know, we dream big. And I think part of the, the culture that we've tried to create here is we want other people to feel the same way about their business, right? And we want people to dream big and think big. And guess what? If you fall a little bit short, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fail. That to me is probably one of the most redeeming parts of the culture that we've created here is one that really embraces this concept of innovation and entrepreneurship with the idea that sometimes you're going to fail. And, and guess what? That's okay as well. Yeah. Again, what that has spawned, though, uh, and you look at downtown Fishers now and how dramatically different it is, the life sciences companies and, and, and others. But uh, I know Mayor Fadness was quoted as saying that your tenure at Launch Fishers, and then, of course, it spawned the uh, Internet of Things, the IoT Lab uh, there. Other Fishers-based companies as well have created, resulted in the creation of about 2,000 jobs and $600 million in investment and M&A uh, activity. So that that is quite a statement, and that number continues to grow. Yeah, we're really excited about not only the the pure play entrepreneurial companies that we see and, uh, you know, software companies, tech and, and device, but now this emerging life sciences uh, segment that's really catching fire in Fishers. And I mean, that is to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars in, in development and investment in these enterprises. And these are jobs that will be around for decades, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, families that will be provided for, cities that will be built, new places in the community, all because of our entrepreneurial culture. And I, I do, you know, remember very vividly as we cast this vision very early on and, and the mayor, you know, came up with this trio of smart, vibrant, and entrepreneurial. And we thought that if we could make that our, our focus and at the end of the day, make entrepreneurship and innovation a dinner table discussion in Fishers, that we would win long-term. And we've been doing that for a decade now. And we're really starting to see the results. I know you were confident that this would be a a, uh, a winning strategy, but are you even a, a bit surprised or amazed today as you look at the continual investment, as you said, not just in uh, you know straight mainline kind of tech uh, related things, but life sciences and other related companies that that continue to locate there? I mean, I know the mayor talked about the life sciences and in this little life sciences park that quickly ran out of space because there's so much interest and so much. Uh, development there and what's happened in the downtown and Dave Becker and First Internet Bank and uh, a number of others. Has that success uh, and growth surprised you? I will say, you know, you always start something believing you're going to be successful. But when we look back on this right now, uh, you know, where we stand today, more than a decade after starting Launch Fishers, and, and you know, on in the week that we uh, break ground on a boutique hotel, and, you know, you see these amazing residential and commercial projects that continue to spring out of the ground and, and even new ones that are envisioned with Andretti Motorsports and, and 550,000 or so 
square feet of space right here, headquartered a global enterprise like that. Those are the kind of drag along and kind of secondary benefits, I think, of having a, a city that's as vibrant uh, and as smart and entrepreneurial as Fisher's. And, you know, that's really hard to see when you're dreaming this up 10 years ago. So right. it has, I think, in many ways, eclipsed even what Mayor Fadness and I probably envisioned this could be. Much more with John Wexler when we return. We'll uh, talk about John Wexler, the early years, uh, maybe get into a few good stories as well when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. This twice-daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business Radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is innovator and entrepreneur, John Wexler, a guy who has uh, been uh, really one of the key players in growing the tech ecosystem, not just here in central Indiana, but uh, around the state. Uh, John, you mentioned, uh, we talked a little bit about how you got that entrepreneurial fire or passion uh, growing up. Talk about growing up. I think you were uh, northwest side of Indy, right? Pike Township? Pike Township, yes, sir. What uh, what was growing up in Indy like for for John Wexler? Well, I mean, you know, you look at uh, at the time, you know, it wasn't nearly as developed and 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 connected as it is today. And, and so today, you know, Pike Township on the northwest side of Indy doesn't seem all that far from anything else. But it really seemed like we were not quite rural, but we were this kind of mix of suburban rural Indy, and uh, you know. Park 100, as we know it today, hardly existed. Uh -huh. And today it's millions and millions of square feet. You know, we have a, a, a legacy there of my mom, uh, my dad, my grandmother uh, actually uh, went to New Augusta High School. And so, you know, we grew up in that New Augusta and Pike Township area uh, and, and really had a deep sense of being connected to that part of the community. And it was, it was, a, it was a great upbringing. I, I will say that, you know, we grew up with, uh, you know, largely I, I lived with my mom, uh, my sister and I, and, and so we had a single mom that worked a couple jobs just to keep the household going. And so, uh, again, I, I grew up understanding a little bit of economic scarcity and what it means to have to really put in an honest day's work. And I will say that, you know, I know you ask, oftentimes I've heard your podcast, you may be stealing some of your questions here, but you ask about mentors. Yeah. And, and I'll say growing up with a a strong mother uh, and a grandmother uh, that really instilled in in us, uh, my sister and I, this work ethic uh, is something that has paid dividends for decades, and I'm eternally thankful for that. And so, yeah, it was it was a good uh, you know we played with uh, you know a couple of rocks, some sticks, and and a little bit of dirt, and that was kind of the way you know you passed. That's how we entertained day. ourselves, you know. There was no. There were no video games or the stuff like that back then, right? No, we had a crab apple tree. And if you could shake a few crab apples off and throw it, you know, at somebody else in the neighborhood, that was the start <laughs> of a fun day. 
Uh, I love it. Uh, so you uh, matriculated onto IU, correct? Yes, sir. I stopped at the military after high school for a couple of years and then, and then went on to uh, IUPUI and IU and then uh, did an overseas studies program in the Netherlands. Yeah, uh, talk, well. talk about your path through the military, why you chose the military and, and, and your experience there too, because you got good at jumping out of helicopters, right? Yeah, um, that, that's where you know you, I don't know what, if you're doing something right or wrong, they teach you how to, how to basically get out of a perfectly functioning aircraft. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was actually quite fun as an 18 year old, uh, you're pretty much willing to do almost anything on a bet even. And, uh, and so when I got the chance to, uh, to go into the Army, I, I chose to do that as a way to pay for college. My brother, uh, Rick, who lived with, uh, with my dad at the time, went to Michigan and played football there. Uh, we all found our paths in different ways, but mine to get to college involved spending a couple of years in the military. And I went through the air assault training uh, program, which teach you, teaches you how to rappel down the side of a mountain or out of a, out of a helicopter. And that was a, a very empowering experience to uh, to do some of the things that uh, you get to see in commercials or uh, you know you see in the movies. And uh, it was fun as an 18 to 20 year old in that range. I spent a couple of years there uh, to get to play with some really big fun toys. Well, as you as you reflect on that military experience and, and what it meant for you at that time in your life, but then you know also going forward. Talk about the impact the military can have, and certainly in your case, it did have on you. Oh, man, I, I would say it's one of the most transformative moments in my life arc. If you really kind of look at, you know, my my early, my teen years, it might be hard for you and maybe others uh, to believe that I, I caused a little bit of trouble here and there. It wasn't, <laughs> nobody ever got hurt, but there was always mischief, right? And so yeah. if, if, I, if I showed up, it was like, oh, okay, here, it's going to go down, you know, something... <laughs> somebody's going to dare somebody to do something or we're going to have some fun. But uh, really when I went to the military and they shave your heads off and you can't tell the troublemaker from the valedictorian, from the star athlete, and all of a sudden it's a pure play meritocracy. For the first time in my life, I really stood out across the board and and they started kind of pulling me out for special things. I, I was asked if I wanted to go to West Point, which I ended up not doing. But, you know, it, that's a pretty rare occasion that, yeah. that you even get an opportunity like that. And so for me, at the age of 18, when I went in, it was a moment in time when I was really kind of identified as a top performer. And that wasn't always the case, to be honest. And um, I never really applied myself all that much at, at school before that point. But when I went into college, I was on the dean's list and the honor roll. And I started to really learn what life was like as a top performer. If you just put the work effort in, it was amazing to me at what life gave back to me. And, and I started from that point forward to operate with the benefit of the doubt because I was always going to show up you know, and do the work uh, and do what was required to be successful and then let the chips fall uh, where they may. So military, you got your education uh, at IU and then launched a career. You, if I remember right, you went into the kind of went into the corporate world, right? In the business world? Yep. I was uh, really fortunate to do an internship at IBM uh, early in my, uh, uh, well, my junior year of college. And then they gave me a job offer uh, so that when I graduated, I went back as a sales rep at IBM. I was uh, enrolled in their executive resource program where they, they groom top executives and really kind of coach you up, send you to a lot of great uh, classes. And then I 
was in the golden circle where they recognized their top percent and a half or so, 2% of the uh, IBM sales force. And so I really wanted to perform at the very highest levels at a top organization. And I've always known that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I felt like that would be a great training ground for me early on and really applied myself uh, inside of IBM. Left after about five years to uh, join the entrepreneurial ranks. Yeah. And, and that, uh, I mean, at that time, th- those were coveted roles at IBM. So, and that, that experience had to had to have given you a really great base kind of coming out and launching, uh, kind of leaping into the entrepreneurial space. It really did. And the funny thing is, is that when I was an entrepreneur, like we're talking 1990 something, right? Just to kind of timestamp this, people back then used to think it was a code word for being unemployed. And they would say, oh, it's okay. Things are going to get bad. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm really choosing to be an entrepreneur. I want to disrupt an industry and I want to create value for myself and for shareholders. And, uh, and really from the mid nineties on, I've chosen this entrepreneurial path and I cannot imagine doing anything other than, you know, what I've done for these last, you know, couple of decades. John, as you got into that entrepreneurial world, what was most important, you know, your life experiences, military education, you got IBM, all those things going to set you up, uh, I think, in a positive way. But what were some of the other things, you know, sometimes you got to have a little luck, money, all those kinds of things. How, how did it kind of roll out for you? And what were the important things in getting that positive start in the entrepreneurial world? Yeah, I think uh, a handful of things. I mean, Obviously, you know, we talk all the time about the importance of mentors and, and, and having senior mentors, but also a great peer group, uh, people that can help keep you balanced and in check and, and that you can bounce ideas off of. Uh, but I would say probably the defining things for me are, are having a true sense of kind of core values and, and what matters most uh, to me and to, you know, what I want to see in the world. And having that true north, I think, is really important. And, and to me, it's about increasingly it's coming into focus for me that really at the end of the day, it's always been about fair play, you know, and, and, and honest and ethical treatment of those around you. You know, I think if we could see more of that kind of thought, more of that intentional focus, uh, I think the world would be, be a better place. But that's something that has certainly uh, played out very well for me. And that just sometimes means being just direct and honest and just explaining kind of where you're coming from. Sometimes maybe others would view it as to your disadvantage to tell a, a competitor or somebody in the industry something, but it's honest, right? Or a customer, even giving them more information than you should. I think it, it's about honesty and fair play. And that has been, uh, that's been, you know, kind of what I brought to the table from the very beginning, I hope, at least that's what I've tried to do. Yeah. You, you, uh, you mentioned mentors, your mom, your grandmother's being mentors at, at home. Talk about any other mentors, and I'm sure you've had many. What they have meant to you, and and did you have a, was it a formal mentor, uh, mentee relationship, or you just learn from uh, from people and individuals who you connected with? Well, I definitely believe that we can all learn something new every day, right? It's up to us to figure out who's going to teach us or what we're going to learn. And a lot of times, it's just you know intentional, active listening that you can kind of pick up an awful lot any given day. Um, but when you, when I look at at formal mentors, I went through a program uh, in the my gosh now I'm really going to date myself late 80s called the Indianapolis Entrepreneurship Academy, and this was something that Dr. Haberly had created uh, down at IU that really uh-huh. started to radiate uh, around the state. I just ran into uh, Kevin Martin, a good buddy of mine, that went through the program at the same time a long long time ago, 
And, and one of the primary leaders of that in Indianapolis was Dr. Bert Servas. And, and Dr. Bert actually took me under, my, under his wing, had no earthly reason why he would, you know, spend that kind of time with me. But I count him as one of my early uh, mentors and, and, and business leaders that would take time with me. And then in the more current iteration, if it goes back probably 20 plus years, actually 22 or 23 years is David Becker. And that is a, uh, that's a relationship that, that goes all the way back, uh, like I said, 22, 23 years ago. And David would meet me uh, mornings, evenings. He'd take my calls. He'd take my emails. He was always there to kind of put some sanity uh, into a difficult situation or help me, whether it's a transaction or a business question, or just, you know, just sometimes we just laugh and talk about life. And so it, that has really grown into a friendship that I've, I've really valued. And to be honest, when he was inducted into the College Mentors Hall of Fame a number of years ago, and he invited me to come along as one of his claimed mentees, it was a moment for me of realization that, you know, it, it, was, it was fulfilling to me to be a good mentee, really. Because at the end of the day, you know, mentorship is a two-way street. And anyone that wants to have a good mentor really needs to learn how to be a good mentee. And that means active listening, engaging, testing ideas, pushing boundaries, and, and really engaging with your mentor. And that was one of the things that I learned uh, with David uh, as a great mentor. I sense, and I, I witnessed, so I know it's true, but uh, that, that, that uh, willingness by entrepreneurs like John Wexler and David Becker and Scott Jones and, uh, you know, Scott Dorsey. You can go on down the list. There are a number of them, successful entrepreneurs here locally in Indianapolis, the Indianapolis region, that take the time to give back and to connect with younger, aspiring entrepreneurs. I, I sense that's that's real here, and I think it has a positive impact. It's an incredibly positive impact. And I I, I think one of the reasons... Uh, that it's so so impactful is that it's authentic. You know, nobody's doing it uh, for recognition. Most people do it under the radar, right? There's no tweeting about it or 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 posting of it. Uh, a lot of times, it's as simple as somebody reaching out and saying, "Hey, I have a question. Would you be willing to meet for coffee?" And I get razzed a lot by my friends, by my colleagues, uh, by everyone that I work with, saying, "Dude, you're already so busy. Why?" Why, why do you do this? Why do you take all this extra time? And I, I really believe it matters because it made such an impact in my life that, that you know, I want to be able to keep that moving forward. And, and it's a, in, a, in a lot of ways, it's paying it forward so that this next generation of, of entrepreneurs, like you look at Santiago, Harmillo, you know, I mean, here's a young man that, that came to America, I think at the age of nine, hardly speaking a word of English. And today he's one of the top entrepreneurs in our community. And he and I used to meet at Starbucks with me sitting on the other side and asking questions and trying to probe and, and, and help out uh, as, as a mentor. And at the end of the day, I think that's a peer mentorship arrangement now because of his experience and how quickly uh, he has excelled at what he's done. But, you know, it's really been fun to see that kind of generational span now uh, in, the, in the mentorship and, and, and the relationships and that type of thing. John, looking forward, what's next? What does Indiana as a state uh, need to do to push that, uh, you know, the rock forward to, to take that tech ecosystem and jobs and investment and successful entrepreneurs and in growing young companies, getting young companies started and growing? 
what's needed to make that happen? I think if you look at the the the, the gains and the the progress over the last twenty years, it's been exponential. It's been very obvious signs. But you know, if you're not moving forward, you know you're you're kind of falling behind. What 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 does Indiana need? Is there something missing here to make to make things happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there. Look, we can always do better. We know that, and I I with you celebrate the incredible strides we've made uh, as a state. We're an incredible place to do business. Very business friendly. Uh, we have great talent, great people. Uh, but I'd like to see us put a, a finer point on what it takes to make the environment hospitable for entrepreneurship and innovation. And I think we have some really amazing opportunities. When you look at what's the next generation going to look like uh, in the entrepreneurial and innovation uh, landscape, and and you're already talking about third graders and fourth graders and fifth graders. How do we inspire them so that 12 years from now, 15 years from now, we see a renaissance in entrepreneurship and innovation? And so one of the things that I talk to my friends about that are in the places where we can all kind of collaborate on this is I want to see us make a major push for entrepreneurship and innovation on a generational scale. And and that means it's probably something other than uh, governmental, right? I I think government has a role in supporting that, but I'd like to see some private sector and maybe nonprofit push uh, that could help build capacity for dreaming and for for innovation and entrepreneurship. And, And a lot of times it has to go outside of government because it spans uh, election cycles, quite frankly, right? It's hard to it's hard to see the results in a few years when you're talking about a generational shift in entrepreneurship. But I don't see any reason why 15 years from now we couldn't be known as one of the top places in the world for entrepreneurship and innovation. I think we have the assets here. It's just a question of how we we direct everything into that common vision. Aspirational goal and another another big goal uh, by John Wexler. Not uh, not uncommon. I, I like that. I like that, John. And it's been great catching up with you. Anytime we're we're together, grabbing a beer or whatever the case might be, it's always a, an enjoyable conversation. So I appreciate appreciate everything you continue to do for Indiana. We're going to keep an eye on Spokenote too, because I know that's got uh, that's got your attention and your focus now. And uh, I'm expecting some big things. We're having a great time with that, Gary. Thank you so much. And we've got a, a cold sun king for you anytime you're ready at the <laughs> Fisher's Test Kitchen. So come on up. Okay, good. You can count me in on that. Thanks again, John. Thank you, And Gary. thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to Inside Indiana Business. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.